certainly glad to be here with you tonight. We're going to have an interesting little study this evening, something that uh, I know, at least for my children, really kind of piqued their interest. It's a talking donkey, an animal that talked. Now, you know in the Bible, there's more than one time that animals talk. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, there was a snake that talked in the Garden of Eden? Well, this is a different situation. This is something that happens many, many years later. And what has happened, Israel has been slaves in Egypt for a long time. And they've come out of Egypt and they're wandering around the wilderness. And let me show you a map here just a little bit to kind of pick out where this is going on. You've got a nation here called the Moabites. And you've got a nation called the Amorites. Now, Israel is traveling around in this area on this side of this Jordan River area right here. So Israel's out in this, this area right here. They're traveling around. There's a whole bunch of them. And they are not trying to pick fights or have trouble with anybody. They are just trying to mind their own business and wander around and find a place to have food and have a place for their cattle and a place to stay. Well, they travel through this area right here with the Amorites, and the Amorites didn't appreciate people on their land. And so the Amorites attacked them. Now the Amorites and the Moabites are enemies. And the Amorites always seem to pick on the Moabites. They're kind of the big brother that picks on the little brother, you know. And just the Moabites bless their hearts. There's just nothing they can do to whip the Amorites. Israel comes through and they just decimate the Amorites. I mean just flat wipe them out. And they're headed in this direction. Now you're a Moabite. What are you thinking? Are you a little nervous? I'd be nervous. You know, if some foreign country, foreign land came in to North America and came through the north and destroyed everybody that lived in Canada, even though America is far more powerful than Canada, I'd be a little nervous if they were headed down toward us, wouldn't you? We'd prefer not, that not happen. Well, this situation is going on, and so the king of the Moabites decides he needs to do something about this. So he calls this guy right here. Now, that's not really a picture of him. That's just an artist rendition. The guy's name is Balaam. And Balaam is an interesting character. Did you know Balaam is mentioned by name in the Bible three times as often as Mary, the mother of Jesus? That's kind of interesting. Balaam is mentioned repeatedly throughout the entire Bible from this point on. He's mentioned over and over and over. He's a character that I believe God wants you and I to learn something from this fella. Did you know in 1967, archaeologists digging over in Jordan dug up an old building that had been buried beneath sand for centuries and centuries. And they dug this up and it was... It was an old public building like a, maybe a post office or a government building of some kind. And on the wall, they had a saying that was engraved on that wall. Now, 
I've said some things that I've heard people quote sometimes, maybe out of context, to get a laugh about something I've said. But they hadn't put anything that I've ever written up on a wall. Because <laughs> I'm just, you know, maybe it makes Facebook in my daughter's post or something, but it's not that impressive, the stuff that I have to say normally. They found inscribed on this wall a saying from Balaam, the son of Beor. Inscribed on this government wall. They found it in 1967. You can go online and see pictures of it. This guy was an important, powerful, well-known man. I want to tell you who he was. If you back up in the story in the Bible a little ways, you know who Abraham was. Abraham's father was a guy named Terah. And Terah had three sons. One was Abraham, one was Nacor, and one was Haran. And those three sons are all important in this story that we're going to learn tonight. Because you see, Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel, and his descendants were known as the Israelites. They're the people who just destroyed the Amorites and are headed down to the land of Moab. He had a brother, Abraham did. And that brother had a son named Lot. Now you've read about Lot if you've read your Bible. You know how Lot went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and ended up just getting out of there barely with two of his daughters. And I mean, it was a very difficult situation for Lot. Lot had a son named Moab. And guess who Israel is fixing to have conflict with? The king of the nation of Moab is a guy by the name of Balak. And I know there's a lot of names in this, and I don't expect you necessarily to remember all these names when we're done. I just want you to have the idea of what's going on here. So really, the Israelites and the Moabites are relatives. I mean, they're like second or third cousins or fourth on down the line a ways. There's another brother though. This brother, Nacor, had a son named Laban. Now if you recognize the name Laban, this guy right here, Jacob married Laban's daughters. That was his uncle. Laban was his uncle, you see. Laban had a son named Beor. Beor was the cousin of these people over here. Beor had a son whose name was Balaam. And that's the guy we're talking about. So when we get to this story, you've got Balak, Balaam, and the Israelites. The Israelites are going to be in a battle against Balak and the Moabites. And so this guy right here goes to get this guy right here to help him in this battle. Now that kind of gives us a little background or a little history to what's going on and where we're at at this stage, okay? Now, what happens is this. Balak sees they're coming, Israel's coming, and he's upset, and so he says, I tell you what let's do. Let's go send for Balaam. And Balaam is going to come. We'll pay him money. And he'll come. And he, like I said, his words were inscribed on the walls of buildings. He was very powerful. Very well known. 
said, we'll pay him to come and curse the Israelites. And then when we fight them, the curse of this man named Balaam will be on the Israelites, and maybe we'll have a chance to win this battle. Sound like a plan. So he gathers up some of his top princes, important men, and he sends them to Balaam. And they get to Balaam and they bring a bunch of money and they say, okay, listen, the Israelites are coming. We want you to come curse them. Balak has sent us. We're going to give you this money. You come and curse these people. And he says, well, I'll tell you what. Let me go and ask God. And they said, okay. So he says, you spend the night here and I'll tell you in the morning. So he goes and he asks God. And God says, don't you go with them. <laughs> he says, Israel is not cursed, they're blessed. Don't you go with them. So he goes back the next morning, he goes, ah, guys, you know, God won't let me go with you. So they go back and they tell Balak, no, he won't come. He says, oh, we've got to have him. So he gets more important princes and more money. And he says, you know, he's holding out for more. So he gets the most important guys he has and he sends them to go to Balaam. And they go to Balaam and they said, Balak really wants you to come curse the Israelites. And he's given you, he'll give you anything you want. You just name your price and he'll give it to you. And he goes, let me go ask God. (laughs) And he goes and he asks God again. And God says, you know what? You want to go, just go. Now, we're going to talk about what happens after he goes in just a moment. But I want to tell you a few things that we know about this guy Balaam. Because he's an important guy in the Bible. One of the things that we know about Balaam is that he had a knowledge of the true God. Now that shouldn't surprise you because you already know that his grandfather, great-grandfather, was Abraham's dad. That his grandfather had two daughters that married Jacob. In fact, his aunts married Jacob. He knows who these people are. He knows God. He knows about the true God. Look, he said, lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. We know that Balaam had a knowledge of the true God. He wasn't just some pagan guy wandering around in the wilderness. He knew who Jehovah God, the great I Am, was. Another thing we know about him is that he had faith in God. He said this, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now really, there's a whole sermon in that phrase right there, isn't it? I won't do anything more than God told me to do, and I won't do anything less than God told me to do. This is a man who knows who the true God is. This is a man who has faith in that true God. He believes in that true God. This is a man who is a prophet of that true God. The Bible says, and God said to Balaam. You know, God didn't just talk to everybody. He talked to prophets. And God spoke to Balaam. So we can't deny some pretty basic things about Balaam. But there's something else you need to know to understand this story. You know what else we know about this guy? He knows God. He believes in God. God speaks to him. And he's a fraud. Balaam, the son of Beor, 
the soothsayer. That's how he was described in the book of Joshua. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Do you know what a soothsayer is? A soothsayer is a fraud. It's somebody who pretends to have mystical powers. And they don't. You know what he did with those people from Balak, those princes? God said, don't go with them because Israel is blessed. They're not going to be cursed. That's what God told him, right? Remember what he told those guys? Balaam comes out and he says, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. You know, he just gave them a partial message. He didn't tell them, and by the way, God is blessing these people that you want cursed. He didn't tell them that. He didn't give them that part of the information. And I believe he had an ulterior motive for that, and I believe I can show you that here in just a moment. You see, this man Balaam, although he knew who God was and he believed that he was God, and God had even spoken to him, this man Balaam had a corrupt heart. You see, his heart was not right with God. He said this, Now therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. You see, his heart wasn't given to God. When they came back the second time, he didn't meet them at the door and say, Listen, guys, God said, No, get out of here. It's not what he did. He said, Well, let me go ask him again. Maybe he'll change his mind. You know, the Bible tells us that when our heart isn't right, that sometimes God gives the wicked the desires of their heart. We read about that in the New Testament. Scriptures say in Romans chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28, talking about these wicked people, He said, Therefore God also gave them up. For this reason God gave them up. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And we find in Scripture that when someone is persistent in wanting to disobey God, sometimes God lets them have what they want. I want to tell you the saddest thing that can happen to you would be for God to give you the desires of your heart that aren't righteous desires. That's what happened with Balaam though. God said this. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. I've told quite a few stories about my son, my kids. They're just, that's one of the bad things about being a preacher's kid is you're just sermon illustrations all, all your life. One of the things that kids do, those of you who are parents know, is sometimes they just ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask again and ask again and ask again. And finally, after a while, you just get tired of saying no and you go, fine. Go ahead. It's not that you really want them to have an extra bowl of ice cream tonight. It's just they, just, they want it so bad and they just keep asking and keep asking. And you say, fine, that's what you're going to get. 
God gives Balaam the desire of his heart, so Balaam decides to go. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. Now this is where the story gets really interesting for young folks. Because this guy has a pet donkey. Would you like to have a pet donkey? That'd be fun to have a pet donkey, wouldn't he? Yeah? He had a pet donkey, and he rides on this donkey. And let's read what happens here. It says, Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Now let me tell you what's going on here. They take off. Balaam is riding on his donkey. And God sends an angel and this angel has a sword. And this angel is going to kill Balaam. And they're riding along and this donkey can see this angel. Now, I remember as a kid hearing this story and wondering if donkeys can see angels. I, I don't know if they all can or not. I know this one could. It could see the angel. And this donkey sees this angel, and they're riding down the, down the trail, and I imagine it was a little choppy ride on a donkey, and all of a sudden this donkey just heads out into the middle of the field, and Balaam is mad as a snake, and he's, you stupid donkey, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, get back on the road, and he beats on him a little bit and gets a donkey back on the road and off they go. So the angel goes down to a place where there's not a whole lot of room on the road. There's place, you know, stuff on either side, you know, rocks and cliffs and stuff. They're riding along and there's the angel and the donkey sees the angel again and he tries to get over to the side where the angel can't hit Balaam and he crushes Balaam's foot like right up against that. That would hurt. This made Balaam so mad he couldn't stand it. Stupid, stupid animal. Now, we taught my kids stupid's not a good word to say. I probably shouldn't say it while I'm preaching, should I? But Balaam's mad at this donkey. The angel goes down and then he stops in a spot where there's no way to get through. And they're riding along and all of a sudden the donkey sees this angel and it just stops and plops flat down in the middle of the road. Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Now he had a staff, that's a big long stick. And he just starts beating on that donkey and beating on that donkey. And you know what happened next? Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? Now this guy is mad. He's so furious and angry. He's beating on this donkey and God lets the donkey talk to him. And the donkey says, Hey, what have I done to you for you to be beating on me these three times? Now, you've got to wonder about his state of mind here because he doesn't go, Ooh, the donkey's talking. That's what I would do. Not him. He starts talking back to the donkey. And he says this. Whoa. I don't guess it shows here on my screen what he says. He says, I do well to be angry with you because these three times you have not done what you're supposed to do. You went out in the field, you crushed my foot, and now you sat down. 
And the donkey said to him, he said, have I been a good donkey all these years? And he said, yeah, you've been a good donkey all these years. And then the Bible says that God opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And we were running, I was running through these slides before services just to make sure it would work. And uh, got to this and one of the young ladies, I don't remember which one of them it was, was up here, it was you. And she said, man, that's a pretty angel. <laughs> pretty angel except he's got a sword in his hand and if he's coming after you that wouldn't be so pretty that would be frightening when Balaam sees that God said behold or the angel said behold I've come out against you or come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me now when I read this the angel says I'm a, I came out here to kill you because you're doing wicked and when I read this, the, I can remember as a child being a little puzzled like this because it seems strange that God would tell him it's okay to go and then send an angel out there to kill him for going. I mean, doesn't that seem a little bit strange to you that God would do that? Why would God do something like that? Well, you see, it's puzzling if we just read the narrative here in Numbers chapters 22, 3, and 4. But the rest of the story is filled in in other places in the Bible. And we can learn a lot about what's going on when we go and we read the rest of the story. Do you know why Balaam was going? Was Balaam going because he wanted to serve God? Was Balaam going because he was, he was sent on this mission to do what God wanted him to do? Do you know why Balaam went? Balaam went because he wanted honor and money. That's the reason Balaam went. Somebody says, well, you know, I didn't see that in that story, preacher. How, how do you know that's what he wanted? I know that's what he wanted because the Bible tells us that's what he wanted in the book of Jude. It says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. They ran greedily in the error of Balaam. What do you imagine that was? Well, look at this passage. Said, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold. Do you remember when Balaam said that? Why do you think he brought that up? That was the time they came and God said no. And he said, if Balaam was to give me all his house full of silver. Why is he thinking about silver and gold? You know good and well why he's thinking about silver and gold. Because this guy is greedy and he wants honor. He wants his pride to be lifted up. He wants people to think he's some kind of big man. And he wants money. In fact, the Bible tells us this. Said they had not, this is Nehemiah, they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Did you know they went ahead and paid Balaam? They went ahead and gave him that money, and he's on his way to get more. That's his goal, that's his plan. In fact, here in the New Testament, he says this, 2 Peter, but these, like natural brute beasts, 
made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness. Now, let's stop right there before we go to the next slide. Does that sound like a nice guy to you? Does that sound like good people to you? Look at that. They're brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. They speak evil. They're going to perish in their own corruption. It says, as those who can't pleasure to carouse in the daytime, their spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. They're accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Now look at this. Who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Who was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. The truth is, he tried to make it sound all, I'll do what God tells me to do and nothing more and nothing less. And He knew how to word it, how to say it, and how to talk. He was a, a silver-tongued devil is what he was. And he loved that money. His services were for sale to the highest bidder. You see, Balaam was a wicked, wicked man. In fact... You know what's more the story that we don't get in Numbers? More the story that doesn't come in Numbers is this. Deuteronomy 23. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. God would not listen to Balaam. You know what that means? That means Balaam didn't just say, Lord, should I go with them or should I not? That means Balaam said, Lord, you need to let me go. <laughs> Lord, you need to let me go. You need to let me curse Israel. In fact, we read this in Joshua 24.10. God says, but I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless him, so I delivered you out of his hand. God said, I wouldn't listen to him. Balaam did all he could to persuade God to curse Israel. Now he went ahead and he got there. And when he gets there, they go up, he and Balak go up, and there's this mountain and they can look out and they can see all the Israelites camped out there. And he tells Balak, he says, now listen, I can only say what God tells me to say because by this time, the angel got his attention. He says, I can only say what, they, what God tells me to say. Balak says, that's fine. And he says, okay, we build these altars and kill these animals. And, and they did all of that. And he stands up there and he blesses because that's what God told him he better say. He blesses Israel instead of curses them. As you might imagine, Balak didn't like that at all. He's brought this guy here. He's given him money already. He's promised him probably a whole lot more money. And the guy stands up and does the opposite of what he's paying him to do. And he's upset with him. And Balaam, Balaam says to Balak, well, let's go over to this other place. 
And so they go over to this other place and Balak says, well, maybe you can curse them from here. And they go up on another mountain and look out. Five times. Five different times Balaam tried to persuade God to curse Israel. You know, if you can't give him anything else, you can give the guy persistence, can't you? He wanted that money and that power and he stood and he looked over the people and he tried and he tried and he tried and God never would listen to him. God never would bow to this prophet, this prophet who was a fraud, this man who was wicked in his heart who knew and talked to God. But he wasn't right with the God that he knew and he talked to. And then the Bible says this, So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. Now when I was putting this lesson together and I got to this part of the story, I thought, you know, that seems a little weird. I've just given this guy a whole bunch of money to come curse these people. And five different times, he leads me to think he's going to curse them. And we get up here and he blesses them over and over and over. Then I just let him go home. <laughs> Doesn't that seem a little strange? Why would he just let him go home? I'll tell you why he let him go home. Because to this man, he showed his true colors. And we know there's even more to this story. Look at this. Revelation 2. He says, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Look at this who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Look at this. It says, These women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord. You know what that means? That means that after all of his efforts to curse Israel failed, you know what he did? He said, come here, Balak. Here's how you handle this. And this guy was shrewd. He said, I'm going to tell you what. You throw a party, a big party, and you invite all these Israelites, and you get your Moabite women to go down there, these Moabite prostitute women, and you get them to go down there with these guys and you get them drunk and you get them to commit fornication. And next thing you know, you can get them to worshiping these false idols and God will kill them Himself. And you know that's what happened. I want to tell you, I don't know if there's a worse snake in the Bible than this guy Balaam. I mean, he is just sorry no good, isn't he? Do you know how the story of Balaam ends? The story of Balaam ends with him fighting on the side of the Moabites against the children of Israel. And the Bible says this, They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. Now that's a sad, pathetic end to a man who had so much potential. I mean, Jacob was his uncle. 
This guy could have known. He knew God. God talked to him. He could have been one of the men that we read about and talk about in Scripture who was faithful to God. One of the great prophets. But not Balaam. Now, what I want to do here at the end is draw a couple of couple of points out of this story for you and I, because I believe all these stories are in the Bible for a reason, for you and I, some lessons for us. Number one, there are no loopholes, there are no technicalities, there are no ways to get around the laws of God. You can't study and find a loophole somewhere, some way, that'll get you around the law of God. That's what this guy tried to do. And you just can't do it. Scripture tells us this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and done many wonders in Your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You can't fool God. There are no technicalities that are going to get you out with God. You know, kids sometimes can trick their parents, and I say trick their parents, they can work their parents maybe against each other, and dad says no, so they go ask mom, and mom says okay, and then they do it, and dad says, I told you, well mom said it was okay, and, and they, there's some technical way they can get out of it. Brothers and sisters and friends, there's no way to get out of it with God. You're not going to fool God. You're not going to trick Him. You're not going to brother-in-law deal Him. You're not going to get away with anything from God. Because God knows. These people here said, Lord, we prophesied in Your name. So did Balaam. We did many wonderful works in Your name. He says, I never knew you. Get out of here. Because they themselves weren't genuine and right with God. Another point. Outward conformity is not enough with God. It's not enough to just outwardly conform to the rules. The Pharisees did that. They outwardly kept the rules. But inwardly, Jesus said, you know what? You're just like a nasty old graveyard. Oh, you look good outside, all the pretty stones and the pretty grass and all that. Underneath, you're just full of dead men's bones. My wife and I got married, obviously. <laughs> She's my wife. We hadn't been married very long, and one morning we woke up, and she was thirsty, and she said, I'm going to go get a drink. And I said, well, I've got a drink right here on the headboard. And there was a cup of water sitting up on the headboard. And so I grabbed that cup of water and I handed it to her and she went to take a drink and she went and just spit it out all over the bed and everything. I said, what are you doing? She said, oh, that's nasty. I didn't know water went bad. <laughs> it was slimy. It had sat there for a while. <laughs> But you know, on the outside of the cup, it looked just fine. If the outside of the cup would have been nasty when I handed it to her, she'd have never taken a drink. Outward conformity may make you look good to everybody else, 
They make everyone else think, oh, brother so-and-so or sister. Man, they are the salt of the earth. They are good God-fearing people. That's wonderful. But you see, God doesn't look at the outward things. But God looks at your heart. King David said, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. You see, God doesn't want you just to come to church. God doesn't want you just to keep the rules and go through the... God wants your heart. You see? God wants you to love Him with your heart. In fact, Jesus said that's the greatest command. It's to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Not, you better be sure you're in the right building with the right people doing the right things. That's not what it's about. It's about obeying God from the heart, you see. Scripture says this, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. I want to tell you, I want to ask you, look at your heart. You may fool other people around you, but you don't fool God. Look at your heart. Are you wholehearted with Him? Do you love Him and serve Him genuinely with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength? That's what He requires. That's the truth that God asks you and I for. And the last point I want to draw out of this is sometimes you need to be a donkey. You know what that donkey did? That donkey took a beating to try to save Balaam. Didn't he? You know, after he went out in that field that first time and Balaam took that stick to him, and they're riding up the next time and... He's fixing to get over and crush Balaam's foot. Do you think that donkey doesn't know what's going to happen? He knows what's going to happen. He's going to get beat with that stick again. And then when he goes riding up the next time, you know, if the donkey was like-minded like me sometimes, I might go, you know what? We'll just ride up to this angel and see who gets whacked. Not that donkey. That donkey went down to its knees and took a beating to try to save him. And I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, sometimes you need to be the donkey. Sometimes you'll have a brother, sister, a friend that needs Jesus, and they need something done in their life. They need help, and they need somebody to stick their nose in their life because they're messing up, and they're going to lose their soul. And they may bite your head off if you try, but you've got to be the donkey. You've got to try. Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. He says this, he says, and on some have compassion making a distinction and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that is defiled by the flesh. Friends, take personal suffering. Take personal loss to help somebody. 
I know sometimes it's the dog you're trying to save that's going to bite you. Spiritually speaking, sometimes it's your friend you're trying to save that's going to turn on you. It's the people Jesus came to save that killed Him. But you know what? Sometimes you're the only one who's going to stand up for that person. Sometimes you're the only one that has an opportunity to make a difference in the eternal soul and the eternal destiny of somebody. And if you've got to take your lumps to do that, if you love somebody, you're just going to do it. So, as we close tonight, in conclusion, I want to remind you, from this story we learn you can fool people, but you can't fool God. Outward conformity is not enough. And sometimes, you've got to be a donkey. Now, for the invitation. The invitation is this. I want to ask you to look in your life and in your heart. Are you trying to fool people? Don't. Scripture says confess our sins one to another. You see, the thing is, God already knows. <laughs> so confessing it, it's not hidden. God already knows. Are you just conforming outwardly just so people won't be a donkey to you? <laughs> Don't do that. Get your heart in line with God. Do you know somebody who needs you to stick your nose in their life and try to help them? Do it. Take that risk. Be willing to take whatever sacrifice it calls from you. If you need the prayers of the church or the help of the church in any way spiritually, we offer that invitation if you will make that need known while we stand and sing.